Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm not finished yet. It took me a long time to get here. Both parents have, have spoken with each other and... Uh, and they regret what happened. They've had a frank discussion with each other, and they're, they're both of them are keen to, to now focus on getting back to their county jerseys. That these fellas will get such a shit shot next Saturday evening that we'll put them back in their houses for 10 years. Yeah, so the big news today, Connor, is that Michael Darren McCauley has retired. Probably not a huge surprise. He's 35 this year. It's not, uh, he's no spring chicken. Let's just say he retires with eight All-Ireland medals, which is absolutely incredible in the time. He came on the scene in 2009, won Footballer of the Year in 2013. And all this for a player, and I want to say this respectfully, couldn't kick snow off a rope. <laughs> as long as, as long as you've said it respectfully, Willie, that's, that's the main thing. Like I was going to say that, like I don't think it's a stretch to say that he he probably wasn't the most naturally gifted uh, footballer, kicker. kicker. Kicker, yeah, like I, like to me, his hand passing and his foot passing technique didn't change much over time at all. I mean, he was very much a through the laces guy with the uh, with the kick pass, and definitely any time he he tended to only shoot for for points when he was within twenty yards of the goal, and was very much a put it on the laces. There was no kind of technique inside or outside of the boot. But listen, um, you don't get eight All Ireland medals and ten Leinster medals in football of the year for 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 you know if you if you're an average sort of footballer either. Just uh. It, like it, just just realizing today that he won eight all eight all Ireland medals. I hadn't I had I hadn't thought of that actually. But what a haul! What a career! And as you said, like it's not um it's not a surprise because he is thirty five. And like a lot of the retirements that we've been we seem to be talking about nearly a retirement a day at this stage, Willie. But like all the retirements lately, it wasn't the case that he wasn't really getting getting much of a look in with um. With, with with the dubs this year and more than likely that it was going to you know even get less kind of game time as the as as you know the years went on so yeah a great congrats to him again but uh yeah no use surprise yeah no and that's the thing and like i mean the reason i say i want to be respectful because that's only his kicking his kicking was the only part of his game i think you know that that let him down but listen you 
the way the game had gone, you didn't necessarily need it. Like when you look at all the qualities he had, like his his tackling, his battling qualities. Like I mean, he was he had the heart of a lion. He was a big, strong, physical man who liked to get into the mix. And like I mean, he bombed forward at every opportunity and loved nothing more than running straight at a lad and you know taking it, taking him on and going past him. And like Paddy Andrews tweeted this morning, what a career and what an impact on the team. And I do think he made a huge, huge impact on that team. He just gave Dublin something extra. He was a unique sort of a player. Like, I mean, like when I laugh and just say he wouldn't kick snow off a rope, like, I mean, you're saying that in a way that, you know, it's probably his only kind of fault, really, because the impact he had on that Dublin team and the, like I say, you know, the extra dimension he gave them and uh, like putting a, a midfielder in there who just drives forward and is able to time his runs. And, you know, it's just a huge thorn in the opposition side. And again, like I say, all the work he did around that middle third. Yeah, th- that might be a fault, Woolly. But like when you think about it as well, he was surrounded by people who could do who could do that for him because like he was surrounded by Brian Fenton could kick quality ball into, into the forward line all day. You know, he had, he had fellas in the half forward line in the half back line that could look after the kick passing. And I was just trying to think when, when he kind of retired today, like what was the, the defining quality for me was just his relentlessness. And I think you've yeah. kind of summed it up there in terms of his battling qualities his his tackling and that and, and and speaking of that habit of running directly at a defender it's strange the amount of times especially in the era of pack defenses that it was rare that Michael Darren McCauley would run into a big wall brick wall and be turned over or even give away a free because of his sheer strength he kind of tended to break the tackle or he tended to pick his moments when there was a gap there to run through do you know and and we we spoke about this in, in last week with Paddy Andrews um Woolly in terms of I'm just thinking you know, personally, in terms of his, his impacts against Mayo and whether, you know, I remember, I think it was the 2016 replay came on, had a huge impact. The 2013 final, when he won football of the year that year, he ran Aidan O'Shea all, all over the place. That, that Like Dublin had a tactic that day to try and exploit Mayo's lack of mobility at midfield. Michael Darrow was was central to that and it worked a treat for him. So, yeah, listen, I mean, he wasn't the most, uh, he wasn't a, a purest, purest footballer, but like, in terms of his presence in the dressing room. And you can get that from the testimonies from Paddy Andrews, from Brian Fenton. And I'm even thinking of Bert Bernard Brogan had loads of positive things to say about him in his book as well. Obviously a really, really important character in that dressing room as well. Yeah. And uh, just a, just a, just a great career. Yeah, and he's a club all Ireland too and two Leinsters. So, like, I mean, it's no coincidence that every team he's been on has done very well and he's been a huge part of it. It got me kind of thinking about midfielders who love to bump forward and the ability to time that. Because, I like, in the limited few times... I played in midfield. I used to try and go forward all the time. I and mean, you'd be absolutely wrecked. Like, I mean, these lads, Sean Cavan is the best I've ever seen doing it. You know, Michael Donlan could do it from midfield. Kieran Whelan was outstanding from midfield. Like, these lads might go two or three times during a half, but they always seem to get the ball when they go. It's like, listen, this is a weapon we have. And Michael Darrow was like that. Like, I mean, when he bombed forward and down the middle or wherever he got it, he was direct and he was kind of breaking a line or getting through and he was bearing in on goals. Now, he'd usually hand pass it over the bar and he is the one player, I would say, hand pass it over the bar. The more recent one is is Connor Loftus from Mayo, who is in midfield. And I'm not really sure what he does in midfield because he's a forward put into midfield, but he doesn't do that bombing forward role. It's hard to define what role he has. Yeah, well, like, funnily enough, in, in, in kind of my my limited experience of playing against uh, Conor Loftus at club level, he's actually quite good at that. Um, so, like, he, I, I played against him twice in the last couple of years, and he scored a goal in both games, and both of them were al- arriving late on the burst, perfect timing, and then blasting it to the roof of the net. Like, in fairness to, 
like I, I would have questioned as much as anyone, like Conor Loftus being being played midfield when he was named there alongside Matty Ruan for the Galway game. Like he's there for like it's it for his mobility, uh, his kick passing ability, like which he kind of showcased a few times this year, not not a spectacular amount. Um, but I suppose having played in the forwards, he knows the type of ball that the forward wants as well. Yeah. And he was tempted to chip in with maybe a point a game and stuff. And I suppose when you convert you know, at, the, uh, at this day and age, when Brian Fenton is maybe can you know contributing four points a game now, he's a freak. But somebody who you know is converted from a forward into a midfielder, maybe you'd expect a bit more. But to be fair to Conor Loftus, like he has been around a long time, he's but he's still quite young. And in terms of him carving out that position for himself in the intercounty level, he's only added a few months. So I know from a Mayo perspective, I'd like to think he'd uh, he'd go into it. But um, right. Michael Darrow was excellent. I I think we might have talked about this recently enough, Willie. I I throw um. Eamon O'Hara and one of my favourites from from the old days at it was Kieran McManus from Offaly. Um, oh yeah, for bursting onto that and and anytime they scored a goal, it was never like this placement into the bottom corner or anything like that. They always used to rifle it from twenty yards and would always end up at the roof of the net. So they're kind of to to an extent. I mean, Fenton does still does it. Michael Dara obviously did it, but they're kind of dying out a little bit. So the more the more the more throwbacks we can see to the likes of them, you know, in the next few years. Yeah. Better. I think we did speak about it recently because now that you're mentioning it, Owen Brosnan has jumped to mind. I think I'm losing my mind um, here in this, stuck in this house for the last nine months. Could be another, Brian Fenton tweeted this morning and he said, a privilege to go to battle beside this man over the years, a special human. Yeah. What is it What is it with these Dublin players calling themselves human beings, calling their teammates human beings, or even worse hu- than human being, just a human, a great human? Who's, who talks like that, Connor? Where does this come from? Oh no, you're like me, Willie. Maybe it's like you know, I'm 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 in my late thirties now as well. I like this this human talk has kind of seemed to have sprung up in the last couple of years as well. I'm it's alien to me as well. So you know, yeah. I, I is it? I I, maybe all the special person, special lad, whatever. Yeah, exactly. Is 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 as opposed to an alien or a non-human species or something? I don't get. Anyways, listen, it's definitely something coming from the Dublin camp. Johnny Cooper loves calling people human beings. Michael Darren McCauley actually loves calling people human beings as well. They're all at it. Um, but yeah, we'll leave it there because there's, the other news this week was obviously Breed Stack, who had a, a terrible injury, a really unfortunate injury, uh, playing for the Greater Western Sydney Giants. Um, what a name that is. Um, so the, the good news is her, the scans revealed that she had a fracture in her C7 vertebrae. Um, no injury to the surrounding nerves. So she's going to require a neck brace in the short term and she's expected to make a full recovery. So she's going to stay in Australia as part of the team as she gets back um, to full health. Now, uh, the, the the footage any, if for anybody listening to this is online. So go and have a look of it, look at it and you'll know what we're talking about because, it, Connor, it was the most innocuous challenge I've ever seen. Like, I mean, the, the, the girl, Ebony uh, Marinoff, who committed the foul, she got a three-match ban. Now, you have to remember that the a- the women's AFL season is only nine games. So she's lost a third of the season for this. For me, it just seemed like a coming together. Yeah, it's it's the longest ban in the history of the league. I know it's a, it's a, it's a relatively new league, but it's the longest. And as you said, takes it out, takes her out of the, the season for a third of it. Uh, I think she's um she's she's a great player for Adelaide by all accounts as well. It's gonna be a huge loss. So well I like I I I thought the exact same. I I like, you know, first of all, delighted that Breed Stack is okay, obviously, because when it happened first, 
there was, you know, tweets going out about, you know, Breed Stack has suffered a serious injury. Yeah. And there wasn't any clarifications, you know, it was just we and you heard it was to the to the head, you know, to the neck area. And as soon as you hear that and you hear that she was carted off in an ambulance, you start to fear, start to fear the worst. So good job. She's OK. But like it just it's it's just struck me as your kind of average breaking ball in, in Gaelic football, to be honest, that. Yeah, yeah, Breach got there first and, and uh, Ebony Marin- Marinoff happened to collide with her. Now, I'll only say that, like, I... So you tweeted about the other day and you had a couple of replies from people saying that, like, the AFL take a really kind of hard line on high tackles to the head, the neck area. There's a duty of care to players in possession of the ball. But, like, Ebony Marinoff, to me, didn't have an awful lot of time to, you know... Prov- it was nearly like Breach got there first, but nearly like she was competing for the same ball. And I know Adelaide now have... have um, they they they've deemed the, the the punishment too severe and and they're appealing it. So let's yeah. see what comes of that. But even 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 GWS Giants themselves, I'll call it that to make it easier. They called it an unfortunate accident, which is what it looked like to me. So yeah, yeah, you know. it is because she's the the girl uh, Ebony Marinoff has been charged with forceful front on contact. It wasn't forceful at all. It wasn't in any way forceful. And as careless conduct, high contact with severe impact. It wasn't severe impact. It wasn't careless conduct because the ball was on the ground. Her eyes were coming in to win that breaking ball. And that's what brought her towards Breed, not any malicious intent. And then they had it coming together. Anyways, listen, Breed is going to get uh, back well, um, you know, and she's staying out there because I think she brought her her son and her husband out with her. So, you know, it's a it's a terrible bit of bad luck uh, for Breed. But luckily enough, anyways, the decision to go out there hasn't been cut short. So it's good. Good news that she's going to get back uh, well again. Colin Fenley. Um, he's going to take a year out. This is a bit of surprising news for me. He's 32. So he's going to, he's 32 this year. So he's going to be 33 when he comes back. It's an interesting time to take a break. It's like something I would have done here, Connor. It's not usually what we see out of, uh, you know, dedicated, successful All-Ireland winners. Colin, Fe- Colin Fenley doesn't have the excuse that he's heading off to Thailand for three months or something. The road, <laughs> <laughs> that might have been the case for you. I thought it was, yeah, it looked strange to me, especially like he didn't... Um, he didn't have a great end to the season, Colin. Like you know, he was um, yeah. he obviously didn't didn't start against Waterford. He was uh, not he taken off in in the Leinster final. So you know that 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 might 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 you know suggest that he was a bit maybe pissed off at at how he was treated this year. And I would have thought before I read into it a bit, Willie, I would have thought that it wouldn't be as simple as deciding when you're 32 that you can take a year out. That Brian Cody might be thinking, well, you might think you're taking a year out, but let's see how we are in in a year's time. There's no guarantee you're going to get back in, but from what I can read of it, he's adamant that he's coming back and he had Brian Cody's blessing when, um, you know, to, to take the year out and come back. And uh, yeah, like he's, I suppose like Ballyhale have been like hard at it in terms of like winning Kilkenny championships and winning All-Irelands. But I would have thought that after winning the All-Ireland earlier in the year that they would have got a fairly significant break with, with COVID and all that sort of yeah, stuff. Yeah, I was thinking that myself. Like, I mean, the, that that excuse would be a very valid excuse if, you know, three months of last year were almost written off. Yeah, yeah. So, but yeah, that's that was kind of cited as one of the decisions as well that he wants to focus on work and all that sort of stuff. So, I have to take Colin Fenley uh, at his word. I just, when I first heard the decision, I thought he's 32, he'll be 33 coming back. He's already won four or five All Irelands, a couple of All Stars, had 10 years with Kilkenny. I thought that might be the end of it, especially with, you know, the, the mood on the ground with Kilkenny seems to be Cody still in charge, but they seem to be going in something of a new direction enough, like a few fellas off the panel as well. So, We'll see, like for, for Colin Fenley's sake, I, I do hope he does come back. But um, 
I'd see maybe where he is, you know, come the end yeah. of 2021, whether he's good to go in 2022. I'd say I'd say he's just pissed off. I'd say he's rightly pissed off, you know, taken off in the Leinster final. And you'd say rightly so taken off in the Leinster final. But, you know, lifting the cup as captain after being taken off, you, that would piss you off, let's be honest. And then he was dropped for the Waterford game as captain. Again, just kind of fed up and a little bit pissed off. And I'd say he's coming back maybe, hopefully, you know, this is only my opinion. It could, could be completely wrong. He might be thinking Cody be gone after this. It could be gone after this year, and I'll go back because you're right. Cody might not ask him back when he's 33. That's the reality of it, you know. So, like, I mean, we'll have to see how that goes. Adrian Mullen, um, Ballyhale Shamrocks, his clubmate. He's only 21. He's expected to to be made Kilkenny hurling captain. or captain. His TJ Reid has had it uh, lots of times and Joey Holden as well. So maybe if they're going to share it around, it looks like it's Adrian Mullen going to get that. Another man who won't be playing for Kilkenny uh, next year is four-time All-Star and All-Ireland winner Paul Murphy, who announced his retirement uh, last week. And Paul joins us on the line now. How's it going, Paul? All good, Colm. How are you? Has it settled in now? Has your phone stopped hopping? Ah, the, yeah, I suppose it was busy times there, you know, Friday and Saturday. It was brilliant. It was it was unexpected and very humbling um, to get so many messages. But, uh, yeah, there's still a few coming through and drips and drabs, you know, the, different people said they'd leave me a few days not to not to bombard me or anything. But, look, it, like I said, it's just so humbling. I, I expected to put out a small message and, you know, uh, slip away nicely into the background. But, thankfully, you know, people have been very kind and it's, it's, it's much appreciated. So it's been it's been good the last few days. Any kind of messages that might have surprised you, maybe from someone you might have broke a hurl off or something like that down through the years? <laughs> <laughs> there's too many messages from lads that broke the hurls off, I think. <laughs> but uh, no, there's been great messages. Look, I suppose as, as they would have been rivals up until last Friday. But, you know, look, there's, they're, they're great fellas. I've always had, there, there is one player I haven't played against that I don't have huge respect for. And, you know, again, I suppose it, it, it strikes differently when a rival player or a player that would have been a rival sends you a message and you know the likes of Joe Canning and Seamus Callan and Paddy Marr and these boys have all gotten in contact and you know Lee Chin and a few of these so it's great like you always have great respect for these lads and as much as your own teammates sending your message holds a certain a certain um, you know poignancy when they send it to you when a rival sends it again it's, I suppose it has its own special uh, little way of you know getting to you so it's, it, it's great and it, again like I said it's much much appreciated yeah, it's a, it, like in a strange way, they're, they're your rivals, but I'm sure those names you called out are friends too, because you would have spent time on all-star trips together. Yeah, absolutely. And and certainly the likes of the all-star trips, they were great environments to actually sit down and talk to these fellas. Because usually, you know, you might be off in Shanghai or, you know, Austin, Texas or somewhere where, you know, the locals don't know you. So if they, like, you know, if, if, if Joe Canning and Paul Murphy are sitting at the bar having a pint, we can chat away fairly openly, like, you know, and you're not worried about looking over your shoulder and, who's listening but it's great just to sit down because look I mean sure you say you share so many similarities with these lads the only difference is that you wear a different county jersey that's basically it but you know these are great opportunities and like you said down through the years on different trips and you know maybe different events you were at you got to sit down and chat to these lads and look at in a, in a different universe you might be actually teammates and, 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 and good friends but uh, yeah certainly look great fellas great to play it against them and look they, I suppose to just show the type of fellas they are to get in contact to you know when, when you step aside yeah, it's, I'm picturing yourself and Joe Canning in a bar in Texas and like it's great to not be known. And then this goes on for about a week and you actually be glad of a lad to come up and recognise the two of you from Ireland by the end of the week. <laughs> well, I think in 10 years time, they'll definitely recognise Joe Canning, but they might recognise <laughs> Paul Murphy. So I'll be happy enough sitting at the corner of the bar. I'll get around and Joe can do what he wants. <laughs> come here. He can until... the autographs. 
On, on, until this year, you'd played 49 of 50 or 49 out of 50 um, championship games for Kilkenny. Like, I mean, you had an incredible record across the whole the whole decade. Was it is it a strange year for you to have finished up on? Uh, yeah, certainly. You know, I think obviously every player has the dream of, you know, finishing probably on a high, ideally winning an All-Ireland final and playing well for your last year. But I think being a realist, you know, that that's not always the way it's going to work out. Um you know, this year came back from overseas, you know, kind of straight into club championship, was very disappointed, had a poor club championship with my club. Right. And, you know, to be honest, kind of expected to come in. Tommy Welch and these lads were, were flying to Kieran Wallace, Connor Delaney, were really going well with their club. You know, I, I'd always have my feet on the ground. You don't get your, your, your a jersey by being Paul Murphy or having a name for yourself. You know, it's, it's on performances and very much expected to go back into Kenny and maybe not... Um, be on a starting team in challenge matches or whatever it was but you know as the year drifted on I got my form back I felt I maybe you know was fighting for a jersey and, and was in contention certainly so look again disappointed not to have played the games but you kind of realise it's cutthroat the best player has to play and you know I maybe would have felt against Waterford that I, I got myself back into position to be on the starting team but again look great lads there like Tommy Welch and Conor Laney and you know fighting for jersey so you want these lads you know they get the jersey you want them boys to hurl well go out there and do their best for Kenny and you know ideally nearly in that situation you're going I nearly not that you don't want to come on but you want to see these fellas do well and perform well in their position so disappointed for me but look these lads are starting their career now and starting their jersey so are starting their time in the jersey so realistically I was actually just wishing these guys well and hoping that they went out and got the same performances that I got in my early stages of the career yeah geez, that's a great attitude to have I suppose even for you to be thinking like that you know like I mean like like it was it a situation where um you know like you said your for, your form was good enough were you thinking of retiring before this year or was it kind of not getting a start this year that maybe pushed you that in that direction yeah, no, I wasn't thinking really of retiring this year, to be honest. Um, you, but again, when I came back and I saw that, okay, maybe I'm not in the plans. And, you know, as the year went on, maybe the match like against Dublin, where, you know, we were letting lead slip and against Watford again, you know, I would have seen these as great opportunities for me to come in and steady the ship and get yeah. on a, a tough ball. Okay, you're not going to get a score or anything, but steady the ship, get on a ball, make a good play. And now we're, we've, we've gotten a score on the scoreboard. I saw these as opportunities for me to come on. But look, I suppose indicators were there that if, if they weren't looking into the stand looking for me that they were bringing on their fellas that was a good indication to me that look maybe I'm not in the plans here at the moment and you know if I'm not in the plans this year I'm probably not in the plans next year and you know my whole thing is I'm here to enjoy it I'm here to you know I want to play games and look at if there's lads competing and there's lads coming through best of luck to them and brilliant and this is the start of their career so look I'm it's all about enjoyment for me it's all about playing games and I, again like I said I'm a realist if I'm not in the plans I'm happy to tip away and head on into the sunset yeah okay come here I want, to, I want to talk to you about breaking into the team back in 2011 I think you had a couple of um, or a league game in 2009 weren't around then 2010 you were still obviously under 21 at that stage but you broke into the team in 2011 like my god what a team to break into Paul like I mean I'm sure when you were minor under 21 you were as obsessed with these four in a row and the five in a row against Tip and the huge rivalry as anybody else was yeah of course and again I, I kind of saw it as you know, maybe I was a bit naive when I was 19 or 20 and I was kind of thinking, you know, sure, you can't break into this team. How do you break into it? You know, you have Michael Kavna and Noel Hickey and Jackie and all these boys fighting for the probably the positions I would be trying to fight for. And, you know, as a 19-year-old, maybe I didn't give myself a chance that I said, ah, oh, look, sure, these lads are 
the greatest that have played the game, who am I to step in here? And probably did the same when I was 20. And I was given the opportunities. But again, I, I know myself I didn't perform and, you know, I was dropped off the panel. But I would have felt that was always a, a good thing, to be honest, that I was actually dropped. Because it's, it, if, if it's a reflection of your performances that you're not up to the standard, I'd rather be told and be told, OK, this is a situation you're not hurting. If I'd went on and was part, part of those panels and maybe drifted and won in All-Ireland in, you know, 2009 or whatever it was, I might have got a false idea of actually where I was, to be honest. So right. when I went away each time, I just kind of went, look, you're going to have to open it here. You're going to have to open it. And, you know, realistically, 2010, was I was on the I was on the Hill 16 with a few of my friends and actually was gassed. They texted me the other day to, to laugh about it, that 2010, we had a few points in us up on Hill 16, watching Kilkenny be bet. And 2011, I was on the pitch, you know. So it, it was a quick turnaround, but very much decided, I kind of decided on Hill 16 not to sound like too you know, too poignant or too emotional here, but I did decide, look, if you're either going to do this or you're not going to do it and forget who's on the team, go out, train as hard as you can. These boys are going to take a few weeks off now between now and Christmas. Go as hard as you can, come back in January and maybe surprise management. Maybe see, look, this fellow's after doing a huge amount. And maybe that was just the extra bit that got me in the door in 2011. And I think it just, I got traction after that, really. Right. And like, I mean, was it, was it a situation that you were able to nail down the corner back spot? Because like, were you kind of playing a bit all over the place at underage, wing back, centre back, midfield at under 21 in your last year? Like, you know, maybe you weren't being seen as what you wanted to be seen as. Yeah, I, well, I, I would always like, I mean, not to go too far back, but let's say Tony Forrest was under 14, I was corner forward. As, as I came up then to under 16, I was midfield and centre back and went to minor, I kind of hung around midfield and it was really when I went to under 21 my first year, I was, you know, up to maybe the, the Leinster semi-final two weeks before, Mickey Welch had me in at, uh, had me in midfield and Monday night, I remember out in Palmerstown in the Dixborough pitch, he just said, look, I'm going to throw you in corner back, we're going to look a few boys in midfield here. So I said, jeez, 100%. I, I can't remember when I played corner back last time, to be honest, and I just came out with a few balls. And Mickey says, you're, you're, a bit, you're natural enough at that corner back position. How do you feel about playing there? So I said, yeah, 100%. Now, even when I went into Kilkenny, Welsh Cup matches, you know, Brian paid me, and I think it was maybe 19, we, we went up and played Antrim up in um, Cason Park, and I was centre forward that day. So I think Jesus. if anyone has a team programme, you might hold on to that. So I got three <laughs> points column, which I'm, I'm proud to say I got three points that day. But I kind of played wherever anyone gave me an opportunity. I was happy to take it because I didn't know myself where I wanted to play. But, you know, once under 21, I kind of had a good bit of success there winning the All-Ireland. You know, I think Brian and the lads saw me as, OK, potentially cornerback is the place for this fella. We'll try him at midfield and we'll try him wherever else. But, you know, I think naturally I just kind of drifted towards the, my attributes drifted towards cornerback, really. Right, OK. And like I suppose cornerback play then over the 10 years um, from 2011 on changed massively. Like, I mean, you've gone from those mm. real traditional type of games against tip, absolutely brilliant games, to maybe 10 years later, cornerback, no, not as many 50-50 balls, expected to take puck outs. Like, it's changed completely. Yeah, it, it, it's a different game altogether. I mean, you know, 2011... Um, you know, if you if a ball broke down and you caught it and you didn't bother where you were looking and you just struck it up the pitch as hard as you could, you were a brilliant defender. If you do that now, I mean, you're going to be taken off after five or ten minutes, you know. And it just the game evolved, and that's what's always going to happen in any sport. The game evolved to, you know, I suppose, to the advantage of teams use the ball better, um, which is the main thing now at the moment. It's possession. You know, possession is king. So if you can strike a ball, great. If you can strike a ball 60 yards into you know, a fella's hand who's clearly open on the wing. But if that ball is a 50-50 ball and there's a fella 30 yards in front of you now that you know you can stick the ball into his hand, that's the ball to give. So the game has just naturally evolved. And the thing for players to survive is 
you go with that. Now, of course, I had to adjust my game and, you know, maybe I would have critics over the years to say I didn't adjust quick enough. But certainly, I would have felt that the players around me and different lads that I did adjust and the player that I was in 2011, you know, was using the ball completely different now in 2019 as it was. Well, well, that was it. And I suppose maybe you shouldn't maybe blame yourself personally. That's, I suppose, a style of play that's developed, you know, from management down rather than just on you to maybe change. Yeah, I think, you look, again, players and management kind of work together and, you know, players will give feedback on from the pitch to say, look, this is the way we feel the game is going because, again, a, 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 you know, a match from the stand can be completely different from the way you see it on the pitch and there's yeah. benefits from looking at it in the stand and on the pitch and, you know, I think the feedback between players and management in that regard is vital and that, you know, you can't just strike a ball, again, you can't just strike a ball to a player if he's not there, you know, if players aren't going looking for it. So these are things that you have to work out and, you know, you might not change them overnight and some teams adapt to them quicker, but they're things that, you know, you have to practice. You can't just decide suddenly we're going out on the pitch and we're changing completely the culture of how we're going to play this game and how we play it all together. So it has to be kind of gradual and all players have to buy into it for, for it to work, really. Yeah, yeah. And uh, Owen Larkin was on the show here last week and we were talking about Brian Cody getting another um, year again and he was saying Brian is very good for getting feedback from the players and throwing things uh, to them. Yeah, look, I suppose we, we would have always had team meetings, you know. Um, again, I suppose COVID was it was tough in that, you know, team meetings didn't exist. You were, you were having it by Zoom. And, you know, ideally, traditionally, what we would have always done is go into, if we were maybe away in Carton House, we'd go into, um, we'd, we'd have one of the nights where we'd sit down, we'd maybe look at the other team, we'd look at ourselves. And, you know, we had great you know analysis teams over the last few years, especially, who just broke down. I mean, if you wanted to look at every block and every hook, you got that. If you want to look at breaking balls. So, you know, certainly we have those facilities with Kenny. And, you know, yeah, Brian would have had those meetings where he brought him in and said, this is what we see. And, you know, maybe include Derek Ling. Derek, what did you think of that? Martin Fogarty, what did you think of that? And, yeah, the, the forum was open for players to also say, maybe clarify a few things, you know. Yeah. Confusion, not confusion, but look, we're wondering what do we do in this situation if they drag a player here or whatever. Certainly, we 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 did in those forums and those opportunities for players and management to engage and I suppose just give feedback to what we felt was happening on the pitch. Right. Okay. Because like, I mean, I have to ask you about this. Like, there's an article in the Examiner. I don't know if you read it by PM O'Sullivan. I think he's a Kilkenny man, and he was talking about players being frustrated by the lack of pre-match analysis and that the, 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 it's it's a joyless drag. You know, like, I mean, what what would you say to that? Um, well, look, again, uh, I, I, I didn't read the article. I don't know where, like, the information was coming from. And OPM O'Sullivan is an excellent journalist. But, you know, again, I can only speak from my own experience in that it, joyless, certainly, it hasn't been joyless for me. I wasn't getting the games this year, but enjoyed going into training, enjoyed right. being with the fellas, enjoyed going hard at it. So it wasn't a joyless drag for me. But I suppose on the flip side to say that, you know, obviously there was parts I didn't enjoy, but that was more down to me not playing games and different things. Yeah, and, yeah. You know, I, I would never, you know, I would never say that that was the environment I was playing in last year by any means. I enjoyed going into training and I look forward to the challenge. Um, in terms of team meetings, again, look, this year, I suppose, analysis, it, it just couldn't be done. Um, you know, you could do it by Zoom and it's not the same thing. We, we're all experts on Zoom at this stage. It's It's not the same thing, but I don't think that could be a fair reflection of how you know, we had to operate this year. Previous years, we would have had these meetings and we would have, you know, I suppose, bounced things back off each other. Maybe other players, you know, you, you, you might have to ask other players and it'd be the same for every county. Ask other players individually. Some players might want more. Some players might want less. Some players like to hurl instinctively when they go out. But for me, I couldn't say that this year, despite my experience, that it was a joyless drag. I did enjoy it. I, I, I always 
enjoy stepping out with the lads I step out with and play the games. But obviously, that's kind of, I suppose, tainted with the, well, not tainted is the wrong word, but tinged with the fact that, you know, when you're not playing, you're going to be a bit disappointed and there's not as much joy when you're not playing the game, which I think is a fair statement for everyone to understand. Ah, yeah, no, I completely agree. I completely agree. So, like, I mean, it's definitely unfair to make that comment based off this un- or last year when it was unprecedented. And like you say, like, but in general, the players would be happy enough with, you know, the team meetings and the the, the analysis leading into games and stuff like that. Yeah, I suppose, look, we do as much as anyone. We don't overanalyze games. Um, we, we certainly do our own analysis. And, and like you said, you know, Brian puts a form out there that, you know, players can... Players can, you know, I suppose, voice what they feel we should be doing on the pitch. I suppose us as players would feel that, you know, maybe there's one or two other teams that are small bit ahead of us just in terms of, you know, having a plan A, B, C, D and loads of plans. You know, we hurl a small bit more instinctively, I suppose. And, you know, certainly we do have game plans. But, um, yeah, look, you know, again, we were restricted by COVID to a certain degree, but we still had those opportunities that those meetings, if, if players wanted to voice something and players wanted to get something out on the table you, you could get it out there and you know if we went with it we went with it if we didn't we didn't Right okay you mentioned you were away with the army at the start of the year you came back your form wasn't great you've been lucky enough in that the army duty and the overseas travel has never really impacted on the championship has that been luck or has that been understanding superiors? Um, well look I suppose realistically the way the way trips are broken down at the moment you know I've always wanted to be going on overseas trips but you're trying to juggle your life you know uh, uh, your career, both in in sport and and, and both in um in in the defence forces, and I would have always looked at winter trips, which, you know, um GA people we we have we've been I suppose blessed in the army to have so many great and uh, GA players and different sports people to come through, and you know they very much like myself have have had to try and balance okay my overseas duties and my career within the defence forces, and it is a very unique experience in that. You know, other people may have to go for promotions and different jobs, be it as a teacher or a doctor or whatever it is. And but you get to stay in the country, where we go overseas and we're completely out of the country. Uh, it's been great. The defence force has been very understanding for me, and and likewise, uh, Kilkenny have been very understanding in that. You know, I went overseas in uh, 2017 to Lebanon, and I expected I wouldn't be back to play. I, and I wasn't back to play the league, but I expected I'd be back around May. Our first match was going to be against Dublin. Now, as things transpired. Um, I got promoted in the time when I, or I got I got the chance to be promoted, come back into a year in the Curra while I was overseas. So the overseas was actually cut short by just six weeks, and nice. that benefited me. Now, so that was your bit of luck there, which I think you're talking about. You know, I was willing to take a chance and come back late and to benefit my my military career. But then, likewise, this year, you know, I was eight months overseas um, because of COVID, um, but also the hurling was not back. So that was again my bit of luck crept in there, and that. Hurland was not back. I was staying overseas, so again, I wasn't going to miss anything. Kind of, you have to take a chance of these things. You have to decide, look, this is good for my career, for my military career. I'm going to go with it and trust that things will work out in the end. And if they don't, look, stand by your decision and just be happy that you made the right decision to benefit your life, really. Right. OK, yeah, no, that's, that sounds fair enough. Come here, what about the Colin Fennelly comments on the army then? I have to ask you about this because I saw his comments um about you know, there's nothing to do. I was I was bored. I was lazy, and that, or it was you know, there was there was nothing to do. And then I saw an interview with you in the Irish Times where you're saying there's very very little downtime. You know, when you're overseas and you're always busy. And is this down to the fact that you have a very good work ethic and Colin Fennelly's lazy? <laughs> <laughs> well, look again. I'm not here to comment on, on Colin <laughs> Fennelly's work ethic. I mean, we saw he stepped aside last night now because he does have work commitments and you know and and the very best of luck to him. But look. 
Um, you know, again, look, I was disappointed when I heard when I heard the comments that came out. It couldn't be any further from the truth of my own career in defence forces. You know, at the time, like myself and Colin were both privates in the defence force in 2012, and you know, at the time when 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 the comments were made, I was actually in the military college. I was, you know, studying to become a lieutenant. I was doing. I was becoming a counter IED instructor. You know, I was doing many different things at the time. I was studying Minute in uh, military history, leadership and contemporary security. I subsequently went on to get promoted overseas for eight months. I'm back now and I'm second in charge of a company of 120 troops in Kilkenny. So the idea that, you know, there's nothing for me to do. I, yeah. I, my days are completely full at the moment. I, my experience in the Defence Forces has been absolutely unrivaled, you know, and I can't, I, I couldn't recommend to anyone who would be asking me to, you know, how has been your experience? It's absolutely been brilliant for me. And um, look, again, like I said, I was disappointed at the time. I was, you know, it, it was never a fair reflection of my career. He wasn't speaking for me when he said that. And, you know, I think Colin obviously realises that now that, you know, it was po- possibly an unfair comment in my position, um, you know, f- for me to have to see that. Because, again, my, my experience in the Army has been absolutely second to none. It's, it's been a privilege to be in the Army for, for 13 years now. Well, I suppose that's the thing. Like, I mean, before I started this work, I worked in fund accountancy and I hated it. So I don't have a good thing to say about it where other people kind of got into it and liked it. It sounds to me that you're really invested in it and you love it, whereas Conan Fenley didn't really like it. So saw the bad in it, maybe. Yeah, possibly. You know, like you said, I mean, different jobs suit different people. Yeah. Um, I, I joined I joined the army in 2008 and, you know, I suppose someone who left school, I was drifting towards the guards or the defence forces. I, I, I just, it's balanced, it didn't, those were jobs that just appealed to me and I, I, I gravitated towards the army, went in and I, I knew very early on that, look, this is what I want to do and, you know, everything about it, the robustness of the training that I was doing was very tough, but I always enjoyed those trains. Even I enjoyed those trains with Kilkenny when, like, we were, we were laughing just off air that rainy days. I always enjoyed those real tough sessions and you know early on in the defence force that's your training it's nearly all you know and I enjoy the challenge of I enjoy, I enjoy the reward as well of coming out the other side and you know you feel you've developed as a person I, I enjoy the adventure of overseas you know I was in Chad when I was 20 years of age and you know in, in, in sub-Saharan Africa and I enjoyed being out there like who else would get that experience and you know subsequently again serving in Lebanon this was something that appealed to me and okay if a job isn't for you you know, not every not every job is for everyone. You know, I couldn't be. I'm living with you know lads who are teachers. That's not a job that appeals to me. And you know, yeah. uh, my fiance is a teacher, and she loves her job. And you know, it's just like you said. I mean, different jobs for different people. And you know, maybe if if a job doesn't suit you, you just kind of reflect and say, okay, maybe that's a reflection of me that this job doesn't suit me. But it's not a reflection of the job or the organisation. Yeah, no, no, that's fair enough. Come here. Who's the toughest uh, corner forward you had to mark? Uh, toughest. Um, I suppose. Look, different lads bring different um, bring different traits. You know, the likes of I suppose John John Conlon and Flair. Like, I mean, anytime you're you're going up against him, he was you know a big physical man, but well able to hurl. Seamus Callan, extremely fast and just lightning. And you know, if you give him a yard or two, the ball's in the hand and he's going to punish you. And you know, just lightning speed. And even from our own side of the house, you know, I would have always traditionally marked. You know, the likes of. Ger Elward in training who like I mean if you lay a hand on Ger traditionally a corner back will always have his hand on the corner forward and give him a small bit of pull or a drag but you do that to Ger Elward and you mightn't have fingers at the end of it like you know <laughs> he let you know about it so I've, I've marked some seriously tough players over the years you know even Patrick Horgan and they all play the game very differently like Patrick Horgan will drift and he'll pull you out of position and very similar to Seamus Callan you give him a yard and he, he, you think you're in range to block him and you're not because he'll just sidestep or he'll 
lean back and put the ball over the bar. So very tough to pick one person. I think you could you could take your pick from any number of them, and I'm, I'm probably leaving out a few. Connor Whelan and Galway again, another player who mixes it with being with, with, with being very strong, but you know, great balance on him. You know, you get the ball even if you're kind of pushing at him. Keeps his balance very well. Needs very little room and very consistent. You know, when he's striking towards goal, doesn't try to do anti fancy. Makes a space, pushes you aside, and sticks the ball over. So, look, it's very tough to pick one person in particular. I think you could probably take your pick from any of those. Yeah, well, it is a, it's a fair old list. One other question I wanted to ask you. So, when you're in 2009, you've only your second year under 21, still another year to go, and you're called into the panel. And this is a legendary panel. And you walk into the dressing room. Who did you go over and sit beside? Um, well, I was called in, I think it was 2008, I was called into a training panel. And that was the first, I don't really remember after that, you know, in terms of. The, 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 not the aura was gone but the edge was gone off and the nervousness of walking into a dressing room but I walked in and we trained in Kieran's in 2008 we're after playing the Leinster under 21 semi-final I think maybe a few nights previous so I walked in and look I mean it's not to overhype these lads but these were fellas who I've grown up looking at thinking they're the greatest players ever and you know walking in seeing them tug out and it's a different atmosphere you walk into a dressing room and they're all chatting away having a crack it's not an environment you're used to seeing them in so I kind of picked the first seat. I sat down inside the door and kind of looked around at these lads sheepishly enough. Like, and <laughs> in fairness, you know, um, I think, you know, a few lads came over. Mick Kavanagh came over to me. Michael Rice came over to me straight away. And, you know, lads recognised. Lads were brilliant to me. Eddie Brennan came over. Eddie was a great fella as well. Like, you know, when even in Welsh Cup matches, he was a fellow who'd won All-Ireland. But, you know, if he saw you coming on, he'd grab you and just say, look, give you a few quick words and on you go. And, you know, I said during the week there, I fucked around with Brian Hogan in my first session. And that just shows that you know, I can't tell you how I fucked around in any session, but after that really a whole lot. But, you know, the first night I was in, because you're taking in everything, I remember fucking around with Brian Hogan, but I, look, I was lucky enough to have a lot of lads, Jackie Turtle and these guys, that just, they were great to me, took me under the wing, gave me a little advice and really took the limelight off me. It was The limelight was always on these guys, so I could really just hurl freely any day I went out. Yeah, no, you definitely remember who looks after you when you're a young lad, when you need it. There's no there's no doubt no doubt about it. What are you going to do now? Will we see you tug out for little Kenny footballers? We know you're a, an accomplished uh, footballer. Yeah, look, I have to go to the trials first, you know, and make my way onto the team. <laughs> no one walks onto the team at all. So, I know, look, I haven't decided yet um, what my plans are. Look, I'm obviously by no means going to, you know, sit in the couch and, and, and get unfit. I'm looking forward to you know, getting back to the club whenever it is we get back and we have new management this year now and, you know, we have great young fellas coming through. So my ambitions, I haven't even thought about, you know, kicking football for Kilkenny. That's no insult to anybody at the moment, but my priorities at the moment are very much, you know, towards the club at the moment and whenever we get back training, we get back training and looking forward to giving a good, a full year uninterrupted towards the club because, you know, they've been brilliant to me over the years. They've gotten to me, obviously, to where I where I am today and I suppose the one downside to playing inter-county is that, you know, just when you get to your real peak, I suppose the county gets the benefit of you for quite a vast majority of the year. So, yeah. look, I think there's huge gains for me being back in the pitch from day one. Really looking forward to the boys, the hurling with the boys I grew up with and giving a full year to the sport where I'm still in the peak of my powers. You know, we can get serious work done and hopefully I'll be speaking to you in a year's time. Intermediate champions of Kilkenny be, would be a great way to be. Yeah, well, that would be great. Come here, Paul. Thanks very much and congratulations on the brilliant career. Thanks for being Colin. Appreciate it. And the yeah. game takes on, can very, very often and take on a life of its own.
football's tactics. I mean, you've got to make decisions and you've got to decide what you're going to do. And at the end of the day, you hand it over to the players and the players play, you know. The game was fast, was furious, was, it had everything really, you know. And you, know, you're, you, you don't have too much influence on what's happening. What happened last year, it goes out the window or the year before or whenever it was. Tipperary, don't go away. The air, the air is the air. And the yeah. game takes on, can very, very often take on a life of its own. Yeah, great stuff from Paul Murphy um, there in, in that interview. Toddy, was, uh, it was very honest, very good speaker. I hadn't talked to Paul before, um, but definitely will be doing again. A little bit more news here, Connor, is the GEA is set to give an update on its plans for this year at the end of the month, which comes as no surprise because the government are going to make an announcement on restrictions um, and stuff like that on January 31st, um, I think that is. But RT were reporting there, I think it was yesterday, that it looks like the National Leagues are going to be pushed back from February 27th. We were we were speculating mid-March at RT are looking um, at the end of March, at the earliest, depending on how many COVID-19 cases and stuff like that there is. So that would obviously push back the year. The one year you're looking at the, the split season and the clubs getting from, you know, the All-Ireland's finishing in July. The reality is that's not going to happen this year. We'll have to wait another year for that to happen. The All-Ireland's are going to be pushed back then into August. And it will be pretty similar to pretty much any other year, uh, you know, schedule ske- ending wise. Yeah, yeah, for, for the clubs anyway. Like, I mean, like, it's not a, it's not ideal. I mean, you know, being pushed back even further, but under the circumstances, it's it's not too bad given kind of what's going on, you know, the rest of the country. And, you know, when, when you know, when you see the date then that like, you know, it's mid to late August and then the club championships could start, I, you might, you might, you might get a few rumblings from club, club players that they're, you know, kind of being mistreated again. But the reality is, is that like club season can't take place until we're in level two. And it doesn't look like we're going to be at level two for a while by the looks of things like, you know, so um, it is it's 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 not ideal. But like, uh, like uh, at least there's I suppose there's some there's something to look forward to. And you'd like to think, you know, I, I'm not the optimistic sort. And with the vaccine rollout, I know it won't be rolled out completely, but my, by the end of March, but that the situation will start to look a bit brighter. And that, you know, come the end of March, we managed to, you know, run an intercounty championship during level five restrictions in November. Situation's a bit worse by now, but I'd like to think. Hopefully by that stage you can get the ball rolling on intercounty again, and that club players will be satisfied that we will get back there eventually. Yeah, we will. Of course, we'll be getting back there at the end of March thirty first, when the over seventies, the the healthcare workers and the care homes are all vaccinated. I don't see any excuse for doing it because they're the whole cohort of people that we're supposed to be having, you know, gone through all these lockdowns for. So now if they're safe, let's go. You know, what are we waiting for? Is would be my opinion to it. But I, I do try to keep my uh, COVID uh, opinions off this show, Connor. So, like, I mean, I won't go into it in any more detail about what my. <laughs> I don't think that's not why people are tuning in. Uh, good news is that the draw for the championship this year is next month. Um, isn't it fantastic to have the draw for this year's championship this year and not last bloody October when nobody gives a shit? We're in the middle of club season. That actually this year, this could be another good change coming from a forced change because we know RT are as bloody prehistoric as the GEA when it comes to changing things and moving with the times um, half the time. Like, I mean, now because the season continued on until the, the end of 
December, you know, mid to late December last year. Now, RT will see, Jesus, what a fantastic idea now. Having to draw actually close to the season starting. Much more interest. Viewer figures are way up on this draw. Wow, the penny might drop. Yeah, like if there's one positive to come out of all of this, let it be that. Let it be that the draw takes place, you know, within an arse's roar of when the competition is actually going to take place. Do you know what I mean? Like there's been so many times it's like the middle of October. There might have been a replay. The season is just over. And then you've Marty Morrissey or somebody coming on and say, <laughs> oh, here's, here's the championship draw for the next year. And I, I remember they did it. Um, it was a Rugby World Cup there. I think it was 2015. And like Ireland were like it was at the height of it, you know, people's attentions couldn't have been any further away from next year's championship. And there we are in the middle of it. And we do, you know, draw for the championship that's seven months away and people have immediately forgotten about it. And like you're talking about trying to market your your main, your, you know, your biggest product and you're doing a draw that might be six, seven months out as opposed to getting a bit of excitement, you know, maybe three weeks a month, you know, just a couple of months while people are actually thinking about the GA as opposed to it being the furthest thing from their mind. So Hopefully they take on board that they're going to do that this year and continue to do it as opposed to going back to bloody the middle of October. Yeah, I can picture somebody like maybe Joanne Cantwell or someone that's good in RT or Dara Maloney saying to in a meeting in RT, Jesus, wouldn't it be great just to do it the following year? And you get, oh, Jesus, no, we've been doing it this year, yeah. this way for a lot of years now. We're not going to be dictated by anyone now to be to be moving that. And then, OK, right. OK, we'll just go along with it. And that's OK. And it seems to be that seems that's my opinion on the attitudes in a lot of these places. All right, Connor, we'll leave it there because Leinster CEO Mick Reynolds released his annual report this week and he's joined us on the line to have a chat about it. How's it going, Mick? Great, column, like everyone else, hopes to stay healthy. Yeah, and exactly. Glass half full and that um, in the next couple of months we begin to get back to whatever new normal means. But we certainly have learned a lot but at the end of the day, column, it's going to keep our health, all of us. That's, that's the prize at this stage. I think it is. I think it is. Now, come here. The listeners yeah. won't know listening in that me and you go back a long way. Yes, we do. Go back a long way, both education and football. So we put it that way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You've nurtured me as a young man, Mick. That's right. That's God helped me. No wonder I'm great. <laughs> yeah. So all this is all your fault, is it? In other words. That's that's it. It's a good few years now since people like your dad, the late Ned Murphy, the late Sean Mullins, and others at club level if you remember back, and then the, the famous minor teams and all that, and cracking school. But there were good times, Colin, put it that way. We're in a different world now in 2021, apart from COVID altogether, you know? Yeah. Well, I suppose the big question here, Mick, is do you think we'll have a league this year? I think we will. I, I do. It may have to go back. I think one of the strengths for the last 12 months with John Horn and the association that we stick with government guidelines I suspect column from comments passed last night at both Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael parliamentary party meetings. Level 5 may be extended another while. So obviously our COVID committee, of which uh, Professor Mary Horgan, who is on the national, is a member. And uh, I'm sure they'll be making a recommendation next week or two. But um, yeah, I suspect column it may have to go back in a week or two. But so be it. It'll be great if we can get it up and running. Yeah, no, it definitely will. A lot of people talking about money going to have to be borrowed, you know, to finance the league because obviously there'd be no crowds there anymore and, and the GA's income yeah. last year was completely slashed. It it was. And to be fair to all counties, like, I'll just 64 county teams, well, 63 any county teams have to be on the league. And yes, I would go down that route. I think counties have to be helped. 
as you know, more than the county we're both working and living in now, virtually every other county. The accounts weren't too bad at convention, but accounts were grand in a sense. But now that we're in 2021 counties, as you know, most counties wouldn't have regular income in a normal year until the club championship in the summer. So I think, yes, as an organisation, we seriously have to consider the possibility of borrowing or certainly that centrally will, I don't, it's not bailout, but we'll have to tie over counties yeah. for, for the league and championship. And Here, here's a quick... Look at... Yes. Go on. I was just going to say, hopefully, that we might get some assistance from the government just to keep the show on the road because despite a lot of people's misgivings uh, and legitimately, let it be hit in 2020, I think the, the championship they are leading up to Christmas did give a bit of a buzz. Now, unfortunately, things didn't go that well since Christmas in a non-sporting context, but hopefully, look, if we get back to that position and we'll all have learned lessons uh, going forward. Here's a question I was just wondering. Does the does the GA at central level ever put money away into a rainy day fund or does the Leinster Council put money away or do they spend, you know, everything that they earn, uh, you know, putting it back into the association? Uh, we do well taking Leinster first, which obviously, yes, we would have it in the last couple of years. Some boys are there as chairman a couple of years and even some of his predecessors. Yes, we would have a certain amount of reserves just for the rainy day, like it's, it's no secret that we would be showing a loss on the workings of 2020 of, 2020 of approximately 1.3 million. But we were able to carry that uh, in, because we had reserves. And there are some reserves there for infra, major infra, infrastructure projects, such as Newbridge, Nav and Loud, or Colin being in the real world. And I think I'm not offending anybody when I say them projects probably won't happen for at least, or start for at least three or four years. And take our own development there in the Moor Park, there in Leash, with the training centre and that, like, Leinster were able to give a significant grant on top of everything else that Peter and the boys got from their own latest lights and that. But equally, Colm, uh, our position was held administratively by the government during the staff here on our payrolls and for the financial year from the 12th, well, not the financial year, but from the 12th of March until the 31st of October. Uh, the way for those that might know, 31st of October, that's the Warden Clubs and County Boards, that's our financial year. The government contributed 60000 in wage subsidy. And for the early part of the summer, wrote off the employer PRSI contribution, which is the low, roughly 11%. So, yes, we do have reserves, but... Like it's not a, a big hole either, just kind of keep digging it. Yeah, no, that's true. So hopefully, I suppose, we'll get back to some level of normality this year when this vaccine is rolled out and we'll get crowds at the games. Well, hopefully, the, exactly, it'll get crowds so. later on. And even, look, to me, it would be great to get crowds back, but like yourself and everybody else, that's out and, out and about, health come first and take our time. As I said to one person last year, last summer, he was, ah, look, anxious like everyone else both fixtures and could I not tell them this, that and the other and I just said to them, no, wouldn't it be great if this time 12 months you and I are able to argue about fixtures in the full of our health and he <laughs> says, yeah, grand, you're right, good luck, talk to them. Not yeah. a, I flip it, but it's not what we see going around us, it's, it's the way to think like it.
Yeah. No, look, you were highlighting a lot of positives on your in your annual report, you know, the split season, which came about yeah. because of, you know, the, the, the times that we're in, yeah. you know, games finishing on the same day. The management committee uh, deciding, you know, without Congress is help, you know, fast forwarding this, these kind of things. You also tried to be positive about the Leinster Championship, which I have to pull you up on because you said other than the Dublin games, the rest of the championship was very evenly contested with one exception. And I suppose like you, you, you could easily paint that picture. But I suppose the big problem, obviously, with the Leinster Championship is Dublin's dominance. So to exclude them from the picture, you know, is is not given the right picture. Well, I would differ with you a little bit. The fact that I referenced that would draw a conclusion that's going to obviously the Dublin games on one side. Why would I make a differential? And yes, it's a challenge. Dublin's domination is a challenge. And, um, but at the same time, we have the championship no more than a county club championship. Like, no matter what county you win to, there are teams that on paper are not going to win the county championship. There'll be some games that are one-sided or whatever are like we had it with your own club, our own club, there I say it, for years they're dominating the But taking the point, uh, Colin, Dublin is a major challenge for not only Leinster, but all of us. And uh, we're working on that. Our counties are working on that. If Leinster, okay, we can bring standards up. We can do very little about the population. Uh, although maybe COVID will change that mindset over a few years, particularly if what has happened in 2020 and obviously going into 2021 that more and more people are working from home. I'm sure you know uh, people, I certainly do, not alone in Leash, but even up at home in Leitrim, where they don't have to go into the office every day. And maybe that will change that some people necessarily won't have to base themselves in Dublin. But uh, yeah, population is it's a challenge for us, and I'd much prefer to go down the route of what they did in East Leinster and now with the rest of Leinster, which obviously won't move as fast as we would like because of COVID. But it's buy-in by everybody and bringing up the standards. Yeah, you see, that, areas, that, obviously yeah. the standards very well No, go on. You see, that, that's the, the example of Portlaoise is, is a good one. Um, you know, from the aspect of the domination and, you know, the interest yeah. in the Leash Championship suffered by that. The problem that people looking in at this with Dublin and Port Leash example is that Port Leash is completely comparable population wise. And there's an argument to say, look, something needs to be done with Port Leash. Their numbers are too big. But Leash have not, Port Leash have not been given disproportionate money from the Leash County Board ahead of other clubs, whereas Dublin have been getting huge amount of games oh. development money in comparison to other counties. So you see, you see, this. I think this is what kind of puts people out because the, the reality is the population issue has always been there and nobody really ever complained about that. Well, it has, but it's, it's been exacerbated in the last three years. Yeah. But if you go back to this, this argument or the, you know, disproportionate, I wouldn't accept that in the context of, if depends what criteria you're using. Like Dublin has in around 60 coaches. The rest of Leinster has 100. And the, the rest of Leinster now, East Leinster would have a lot of them. But the other counties that are out there, Longford, Westmead, Ostley, Leach, Kenny and Carlow, in the last 12 months, we have been working to increase the, the game staff in the counties, working with the people, the clubs. Like Offaly had a club night last week. I know my colleague James Savannah is talking to Leach, Alan Mulhall is talking to his counties, and it's the spelling. So in that sense, that pro rata, 
the province is not doing too badly on game staff, but it doesn't. <clears throat> we still have to pass the issue of racing standards. That's the way we see it, bringing yeah. it up. And but you, the, only thing, the, only, the only thing on that, yeah. Mick, though, is that you, you're comparing Dublin with the rest of Leinster, but Dublin don't play the rest of Leinster. They play 11 other teams in Leinster. You know, so it's it, if, if every year Dublin played Leinster, you would say, look, Dublin have this, the rest of Leinster have this. Because Dublin is actually, I, I see why you're doing it, because Dublin is actually, uh, population-wise, games development money-wise, um, you know, they have as much commercial income on their own as all the other counties combined. They are a match for the rest of Leinster, but the rest of Leinster is split between 11 counties and Dublin is just one. Yes, it depends on where you want to go down. Do you want to count the number of clubs? Do you want to do population? Or do you want to base it on a historical accident of counties being divided out like, uh, in, in geographical things? Now, going back to the point there about uh, funding and all that, like you take any county in Leinster, pro rata, uh, it's definitely a number on pro rata, are doing as well, equally as well as Dublin. And some of the numbers in a year was reduced to help cart fund these Leinster projects. So, like, we can take different arguments of making the case. And yes, obviously, it's leash or off-heel versus Dublin. But when you are developing, uh, <coughs> improving games development, the standards in counties. There is only too much work for personnel in counties. You have volunteers, you have paid staff to help out. And at the end of the day, column, it's over a number of years. We started East Leinster uh, about three years ago. Uh, John Horn was party to it in Leinster. Jim Bulger continues on. And now with Pat Tegan, we're moving on to the rest of Leinster. And yeah. obviously we make a contribution, essentially make a contribution. And the biggest success that I see in both the East Leinster project and the Dublin project is buy-in by clubs. When people put their own money in, they are the best form of management and their best form of letting you know very quickly how things are going. And it comes back to, I take your point as well, but we are interested in bringing up standards. Yeah, no, no, and and I think that's fair enough. Like, I mean, the East Leinster project was was a good one, and you're moving on to the rest of the counties. But the Dublin situation kind of still remains. Like, for example, Dublin's income in 2019, according to their annual accounts, was 5.24 million, and their mm -hmm. expenditures was 4.27. They actually made a million in profit. Is there an argument to say that funding to Dublin? can be given to other counties now? Because Dublin, financially, while other counties are on their knees, Dublin are actually putting away yeah. money because of their, their their financial might and their commercial uh, strength. Yeah. Is there an argument just to say Dublin can be self-sufficient now? And and then, then that whole argument and, you know, people complaining about the GEA helping Dublin, that can all go away. It might. It might also go back to pre-2003 where Dublin are written off. But I, that's, that to me would be a negative slant. I go on the other way, kind of the other side of the coin, uh, give more resources to the other counties. And in that way, like for example, at the moment, and I would hope it might become a permanent feature, at the moment, or sorry, not at the minute, in 2020, the central authorities cover players' expenses for the counties. Now, it's not quite the same, or I'm not sure how it may work in 2021, but there are ways and means that we could certainly, and I thought recently someone suggesting that if you're further away, in other words, you have down the west of Ireland, players living in Dublin, 
obviously the players' expenses will be much more will be greater than a county whose players are living in Dublin, but are not living in Dublin, working in Dublin, but closer to Dublin, then you give them uh, higher resources. And that would be the line, I would argue, Colm, that rather than taking more to the other countries, and we have, as I said, at the outset, or part of the interview, that we have for the last three years uh, 200,000 a year, uh, not cumulative now, each year uh, there's been 200,000 of was Dublin funding has been uh, put into these sensor projects. Right, yeah, no, and I know that. But it's just like the, the worry for me, because Mick, I, I think back to the to the great days of the Leinster Championship, probably from '95 to '04. You know, where there was five or six different winners. Um, it was unpredictable. Yes. It was the we had all Ireland winners coming out of it in Mead and in Dublin and in well in Mead and Dublin and Kildare got to a final. It was just a, it was a great time for Leinster Championship. And I remember back in 2007 Leinster final, we played Dublin. There was eighty thousand at it. And then the 2019 final, Leash versus Dublin, 42,000 at it. And I'm just wondering, like, with this East Leinster project and the other projects that you have coming on board, that how many more Leinsters, Dublin have won 15 of the last 16. Like, are we looking at 30 out of the next 31 before these other counties catch up? Well, I'd hope that. But I'll just <laughs> say it's a challenge. It's a, it's a serious challenge. But apart from the games of Ireland side, every each and every one of us, and we have a role, and people talk about the powers of the provincial councils. The provincial councils are as powerful as the 12 counties wanting, in our case, the 12 counties want us. Counties look at, have to look at their own administration structure as well, the, the pressures on volunteers. Maybe COVID might change a lot of people's attitudes in the sense of volunteers. If you know organisation, we see the same. Look at all the time people had at home over the summer. That and people why do we want to go back into that? There's uh, sometimes sporting bodies get blamed for red tape and regulation, and people not realising a hell of a lot of the regulation is statutory. That's being statutory, you implement it. It's, it's not a thing. I think we have to look at administration sometimes. And if you're around here, sometimes you'd hear me blowing the gaskets over the rule book. Like there are times, yes. People say to me, why can't you do this and why can't you do that? There are times, Colin, you'd love to. But when you list up the official guide and you see one line in it, a county committee is in control of all GA affairs within this county. So there is a democratic level that everybody has to cop on and say, right, lads, what may have worked administratively for 100 years or up until relatively recently, it might be quite fit for purpose. I must look at alternatives. Yeah. Like you take. In some counties, we have, I don't particularly like the word CEO, but we're a county secretary or a full-time operations manager. Now, a number of Leinster counties have that. So, like, perhaps that is, there's no perhaps about it, that is one uh, direct, a positive direction. You go into Congress, and if you've been there where you're doing a list of tests, there are times there might be emotions that Jesus, that'll walk through, and people have different views, and it just doesn't make a sort stance. Simply, simply, we'd like to be benevolent dictators to be able to move things along. They have to respect the fact that everybody has a democratic say. And unfortunately, Colin, there are times people who give out uh, don't. Uh, now, given out and have an opinion are two different things. But anyway, everyone is entitled to an opinion. They can throw an idea how they might do things differently. But um, people just don't go to meetings. Now, you might laugh and I might laugh and I don't blame them. But that's the structure where we 
tie that in improved administration in in with uh, more games development, uh, getting people to move on, more games for young legs, better training and so on. It's all a package and definitely I hope to Christ if, if we're chatting in five or six years, you're not saying by the way clubbing have won the last five or six years. Oh Jesus, I I would if you were a betting man you'd be you would be definitely kind of going in that direction. Well just before I let well, you go Sorry, Mick, just before I let you go, is yeah. like a lot of people, obviously, I I agree with you that I think cutting Dublin's games development would be counterproductive with all the competition in Dublin, with, you know, soccer, rugby, yeah. etc. And that's fine. So the argument then some people say is like Dublin, leave them have the funding because it's important for the GA as a whole, but maybe split them in four to bring the population and the funding advantage um, down. Now, obviously, that's not something the GEA or the Leinster Council can dictate to Dublin. Could you see no. potentially in the future Dublin, you know, maybe agreeing to this on their own? Well, all I'd say to you, Colin, I'll give you two practical examples to answer your question. I personally don't, and it was only in the Leinster Express last week. That Grey Colin is in, is in leash. And the other rumpus you had in the last couple of years below where Waterford Urban Council a suggestion to move into Sleeve Row. So unless people's minds change on their identity, even though a lot of Dublin, a lot of people in Dublin still identify with their home county or their home club or parish, um, I certainly don't see any stomach for that or move towards that in the next couple of years. And you're spot on. Unless it willingly came within a county or an urban area, it's no more than splitting a club in two. It's all very fine saying, okay, we'll split club A in two. Then someone has to actually take up the piece and say, right, where are we getting the facilities for them? How do we manage this? Who goes where and who goes what? In a long-winded way, I don't see any stomach for that column in the few years I have left in Leinster Council anyway. Okay, right. Well, Mick, come here. Thanks very much for taking the call. No bother, and thanks, Colin, and good to see you. That you're still alive after all these years. Good, good to talk to an old teacher of mine who still talks to me. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) She went far between, baby. Anyway. Thanks, sir. Thanks a lot, Vic. Thanks. All right. Great stuff from one of my old teachers and obviously chairman of the Port Leash Juvenile Club while I was coming up through the ranks as well, Mick Reynolds, and he's CEO of the Leinster Council um, now. So great stuff from him. Right. We'll leave it there and we'll be back next um, week with another show. So we'll talk to you all then. Good luck. Well, when I started running, I suppose I didn't stop. And when I got the chance to go, I said I'd stay going. So I opened up. We're only the small little fish out there, so we are. And uh, we're trying hard to make it through. But it's hard to get the breaks when you're the smaller fish. Because I love this county so much, you know. And it's just, I'm delighted that the lads, the lads did it for the people of Walford today because, like, I, I'm, har- I'm heartbroken. I let it go, cause I won't see you later.